Welcome everybody to The Healthy Sensitive, a podcast for highly sensitive people who want to live big and lean into leadership without having to sacrifice their health and well-being in the process. I'm Leah Burkhart. I would describe myself as a burnout coach who works with sensitive leaders who want to make an impact on the world, but in their own unique, highly productive and creative way. In today's episode, I have a perfect example of someone who is just such a leader. Her name is Lisa Nizneski. She's a pharmacist as well as a certified mindfulness teacher. She has authored two books, Grounded in Chaos, Leaning into Adversity and Learning Joy, and Seven Mindful Questions, Stop Wasting Time, Redirect Your Mind, Focus on What Matters. In our conversation, we touch on a number of things. We talk about her personal and professional journey. We discuss the value of integrating tools from Western modern medicine along with traditional modalities and mindfulness practices. We talk about the importance of living in alignment with our values. We of course spend a good deal of time covering her newest book, Seven Mindful Questions, among other things. What I want to drive home about Lisa is that she is a perfect example of someone who walks her talk and cares deeply about leaving the world a bit better than how she found it. In her private practice, she helps people who are suffering from chronic ailments and may be on a number of medications. These individuals often feel overwhelmed by all the protocols they need to follow. Many of these folks may wish to be off medication altogether, but they have no idea how they might do that or where to start. Lisa comes in and brings her expertise as a pharmacist and merges that together with her experience as a mindfulness meditation teacher. She meets her clients where they are and helps them make gradual change over time, such that they can at the very least maximize the effectiveness of their medication while minimizing overwhelm, and at best even help them reduce or get off that medication. So many people are camped in one of two philosophies. Either they celebrate Western medicine and see traditional modalities as hooey, or they celebrate traditional modalities and call Western medicine allopathic or, you know, some such thing. Lisa embraces the strengths of both and helps her clients to really capitalize on that and improve their well-being. She is both intelligent and wise, two things that are not always found together. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. I hope you do as well. I want to say too that Lisa has generously offered a special promotion for any healthy, sensitive listener. She is providing a number of complimentary meditations and resources. If you lose, if you lose, if you use her link, which she references in our conversation and which will also be included in the show notes, I would highly recommend taking advantage of these resources. Um, they're invaluable, and her willingness to share them with all of you is an act of true generosity. So if you're interested in finding out more about Lisa, you can find her on her website, lisanizneski.com. Yeah, so with all that said, I bring you Lisa Nizneski. I'm here with Lisa Nizneski, and uh, you know, I, I would introduce you and talk about your credentials, but honestly, I think I'd prefer it if you did that, because I think you'll do a better job of it. So Lisa, how about you introduce yourself and tell us a bit about you and what it is that you do? Hi, Leah. Thank you so much for inviting me on the podcast. I'm Lisa Nizneski, the meditating pharmacist. I'm a doctor of pharmacy and I'm board certified in pharmacotherapy. So that's basically my day job. And I'm also a certified mindfulness meditation teacher. I have two books that I'm the author of. The first one, Grounded in Chaos, came out in 2020, actually May the 4th, 2020. And then again, on May the 4th in 2021, I launched Seven Mindful Questions. So I have two books. Uh, And, you know, I really appreciate your time in reading the book in preparation for our discussion today. And I really hope that you got something out of it and that your listeners will, too. Oh, absolutely. So much. Yes. Um, You know, I think your listeners will be most interested in um, that I have dedicated my life to help 
others heal. And so as a pharmacist, I know quite a bit about medical, uh, the medical world. And I found myself in the emergency room with a heart rate in the 20s. So it didn't, every time I had chest pain, my heart rate would go down and they're all watching the EKG and the oxygen saturation, but I'm watching the heart rate. And I say, check the monitor. And, and it took a minute or two for people to actually recognize that my heart rate was dropping every time I had chest pains. So when it finally got down into the twenties, I took a deep breath and I blew it out and I said, you know what? this could be it. I could be checking out right now and I don't want to miss my life. And so that started the whole process of me asking questions, questioning everything in my life. And you're sitting in that hot seat. You've got a heart rate that's going below 20. And I imagine there are people who may not actually have a reference point for what normal heart rates are because you're talking about the pulse right like the that's the right pulse rate mm -hmm. per hour so do you have a sense of what the average range is for a healthy calm human yeah. <laughs> yes actually um, the heart rates in the 60 to 70 is a good beats per minute is a good range mine is typically in the 50s um, for whatever reason I'm I'm slow heart I have a slow heart rate but down in the 20s is um, yeah that that's like very scary to get down to um, you know uh, watching your heart drop and drop and drop and knowing that if it goes to zero, that's flatline. Yeah. Oof. I know, because when I remember you telling me about, you know, oh, yeah, heart rate going to 20, and it, I'm reading about it in your book even, and I'm thinking, yikes. So I can imagine some people going, 20, that seems fine. <laughs> no. No, 20 is pretty serious, yeah. So it turned out I was just a stressed out old lady with too many responsibilities with, uh, you know, um, I had a, a job where I had 275 employees and um, was driving 60 miles each way to work. So it was just more of an indicator that things were way out of balance. And it was time to really figure out how to heal myself and to how, how to really bring um, to the forefront a life that I could really appreciate and not miss. Mm. When you're thinking, because that line is so powerful, the I don't want to miss my life, to what extent do you feel like you may have been missing your life up until that moment? Oh, I, I was totally living in my head, wow. you know, um, where you drive to work and you get there and you have no recollection of that drive to work because you're thinking of things. And, you know, every day I would hit the same darn pothole and I'd go, you know, wake up, pay attention, you know, you're going to, after maybe about 20 times hitting a thing, you're going to have to buy a new tire if you don't start <laughs> paying attention when you're driving, you know, so, um, yeah, so, so living in my head, you know, we're, uh, in the pharmacy profession, you do a lot of thinking and you do a lot of analyzing. And so, you know, what got me there, um, the success that I have professionally is due to my, my intellect and my ability to think. So, um, you know, to a certain extent that has definitely been a benefit, but it was overdone. You know, I was living inside my head. I wasn't in the present moment. I wasn't there for the people in my life. I was just uh, going through the motions, I guess. Yeah, it's like a kind of autopilot. You know, you, exactly. you, you put cruise control on and some part of you is still steering the wheel a little bit, but you're not really the one who's choosing how fast or how slow to go. And you're just kind of letting the car cruise itself. Yes. And when you were talking about that pothole, that is such a beautiful metaphor analogy. I mean, I'm thinking of that story. I'm sure you've heard this one where, you know, I walk down the street. I see, all, you know, I, I fall down a hole. Like there's a hole in the street. I don't see it. I fall in. It takes me a long time to get out. And then it's I walk down the same street. I see the hole, but I ignore it. I fall in. It takes me less time to get out. I walk down the same street. I fall in. I know it's my fault. It's fine. It, I get out quickly. 
finally I walk down that street, I walk around the hole, and finally it's, I walk down a different street. <laughs> like the stages of change that we have to kind of grab it, like move through. And it's sort of like I, I drive down the road, I hit the pothole, stupid pothole. <laughs> it's the, it came out of nowhere. You know, I walk, drive down the same highway, I hit the same pothole, and at a certain point in your life, in terms of using that as a metaphor, you realized, you know, maybe I should just drive down a different freeway. Yeah, exactly. Change lanes. Yeah. So I, I think your story is very uh, uh, telling because it really is the stages of change that you go through um, using the seven mindful questions, which is my latest book. Mm -hmm. So each of those questions, as you're going through the sequence, you... Uh, you learn and practice with it so that eventually you are on a completely different street rather than walking down the same one and repeating those mistakes over and over and over. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a perfect segue. So your seven mindful questions, can, I, it's not just that you have questions set up. It's also set up in a very particular structure to facilitate mindfulness. So it's not just that the questions themselves elicit mindfulness. It's that the way you've structured them facilitate that. Uh, I'd love That's to, exactly right. Yeah. Like, do you, tell us a little bit more about both the structure as well as the questions themselves, if you don't mind. So um, I, as I said, I was questioning everything in my life and I found myself asking the same questions over and over. Like you, you find yourself doing something where you think, what am I doing right now? Like, what, am, what is this? What am I doing right now? And why am I doing this? Yes. And then why do I even care about this? Is this, you know, really, is this something important? Then I would take a, a pause and breathe and think, well, what else should I be doing? And I really am focused on should, because, you know, there are some uh, therapists that say, you know, you should do the coulds, not the shoulds, but this really is a should prioritize what should be done. Think about what it is. Mm. And then moving f further, you know, there could be an infinite number of things that could be done at that particular point in time, but which is the one that's most essential? And you choose that. That's the next question. What is essential? And then what is it that you could do better? Because as you're, you keep falling down that hole, you know, like your story, what can you do better? What mistakes have you made? What mistakes that don't you want to repeat? So um, the final question is, what's the best alternative? Mm -hmm. So you can actually run through these questions relatively quickly in your mind. You know, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? Why do I care about this? You pause and breathe and think, well, what else is there to be done? You choose what's essential. What can you do better? And then what's the best alternative? So I, I sort of set it up so it's ABC, uh -huh. aware because care. I'm aware because I care. Pause and breathe. Choose a better alternative. So that mnemonic will help you remember the seven questions in that sequence mm -hmm. so that you can recognize what it is that you're doing in the moment and then redirect yourself to something that has a higher value that's more in line with what you want to accomplish what you want to do with your life and really be aware of what's happening in the moment yeah and it's almost like in yeah i visualize a, an inhale and an exhale you know the a b c is the inhale and then the pause and then cba like it even mirrors sort of following a breath it does. That was an interesting observation. You know, I didn't really think of it that way as as an inhale and exhale. But, you know, the, one of the basic tenets of beginning mindfulness is paying attention to the breath, to the inhale and the exhale. So the fact that you put those two together, uh, I feel, is, is um, really important because the seven mindful questions, the name of it, is to bring you into that present moment. And if you're using the breath or if you're using the questions to bring you into that moment, then um, it, it's successful. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned, you know, because it's true when you use the word should, I, I'm often 
in sessions with clients saying, you know, don't should all over yourself, but <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> I've heard that before, <laughs> but what you're with the way you're using it is it, it reminds me of say um, like Simon Sinek when he's his book start with why it's not mm-hmm. that you're just saying to people you know what should you be doing differently it's like no it's really it, you're inviting them to get in touch with whatever their why is and identify whether or not and to what extent their behaviors are in alignment with that that's exactly right. So uh, I explore what I call the personal core foundation. Mm-hmm. So there's six domains that you can um, work to balance because, you know, my life was completely out of balance and I really wanted to, to bring my health back, you know, having this heart issue, which turned out to be totally stress. So there's a segue into mindfulness there, but we'll come back to it. So health, you know, starting off with, you know, if you don't have your body and your health, you might as well forget the rest of it, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I had uh, relationship issues, financial issues. So um, health, relationship, financial, work life, home life, and spirituality. So Mm -hmm. some a higher power than yourself. Those are the six, what I call the six domains of the personal core foundation. So in other words, if I've got those six things sort of lined up, then I think I'm doing okay. I'm, I'm in line with what I find important, what matters to me in each of those areas. And um, you know, you really find that you're not spending your time on things that just don't matter any longer. Yeah. And it seems to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, it, you know, a lot of times with whether it's in domains or, you know, wheel of life or what, mm-hmm. four quadrant theory from Ken Wilber, you know, whatever you might be utilizing, I think people often make the mistake of assuming, oh, all of these areas have to be top notch all of the time. When in reality, it seems to me, it's like, no, no, this is just to give you an idea, like a uh, a way of measuring the areas in your life that are are thriving and the areas that might need attention. And there's ebb and flow. Like some periods of our lives, we might be crushing it in the realm of our work and our relationships, but our spiritual life needs a little love. So we, we, you know, but if we have some kind of a foundational tool to identify that, that's what helps us ebb and flow more easily. Um, and it's when we don't have something to help us identify it that we often get so imbalanced because we get addicted to the thing that we're good at. And that totally makes sense. It's like if, if I'm doing really well at work, it makes sense that I would continue to focus on that because that feels good. <laughs> like, um, so, yeah, I don't know whether for you it's I want to pay attention to all six at the same time or if there's an ebb and flow to it. Oh, there clearly is an ebb and flow to it. Um you know, if you set your life in a structure in such a way that you're addressing certain things like, um, you know, let's say you exercise at a certain time over the course of a, a week's period, and then you take a day off or a cheat day or whatever. So so that's that's on the calendar, it's addressed, and you can move on, and you don't really need to think oh, I really should be doing the exercise. Well, you've got it on the calendar, show up and do the work kind of thing. And and then, um, you know, there are certain things that you want to schedule so that you address them in a certain way. And then um, as you're looking at the domains overall, you know, there'll be times that you're focusing just on on your health. You might have an illness or you might be post-COVID or you have something that that um, it, it requires attention. And you're spending your time and effort on that. And it's okay to let the other sort of um, by the wayside for that moment. But you know in your mind that you're going to come back to all of those yeah. and address them over time. So, uh, yeah, a- another benefit of using the questions in that sequence is that when you get down to, you know, what is it that I should be doing right now, which is the sum of the seven questions, to be honest, you know, the final question is, you know, what do I, what is it that I'm do- I should be doing right now? Um, and if it's taking care of one of those domains, like your health or your work life or your home, then by all means, that's where you go. And you feel fine about the other areas because you'll run the questions again and you'll come back and reprioritize as to what uh, is important at that moment. It reminds me of acceptance commitment therapy. 
you know, like, what am I doing right now? That's the acceptance component of just, just look at it. It's not mm -hmm. an opportunity to bash yourself. It's not like you're sitting there and it's like, and what do you think you're doing? <laughs> like, and <laughs> no, what? exactly. And you know, who do you think you, why are you doing that? It's not an interrogative, you know, uh, set of, it's not an interrogative inquiry. <laughs> it's much more just to stop for a second and just look at it. What are you doing? It's like this right now. And That's exactly right. Yes, yes. The awareness of what's happening in the moment without judgment. And that's the definition of mindfulness. So just being aware of what's happening in that moment without judgment. And you're trying to help. So, I mean, because you've got a background in like sort of the pharmacy arena and in the mindfulness arena. And as I understand it, your role in when you're helping clients is to sort of utilize both of those tools, like sort of the Western medicine approach alongside mindfulness training to help facilitate healing. How do you, how have you found a way to integrate those two things? Because so many people I know find them to be adversaries, which is too bad because they really could be great partners. Well, you know, I, I opening the door to what I'm actually, um, you know, I've done for the longest is that, you know, the integrating medications with natural supplements. I've, I've been a pharmacist for over 40 years. I spent many, many of those years in nursing homes looking at what medications side effects. Um, I'm really good at identifying side effects. So if you're having problems and you don't know whether it's the medication or not, I can help you sort that out. And then also trying to look at people who have more life to live that have, um, you know, that's how I got out of the nursing homes, to be honest, because no matter what, how, uh, how I improved their current situation, they were still on the health decline and not on the health improvement track. So I really started looking for people to that were on the health improvement track. So looking at whether or not they want to use something less invasive to improve their health in addition to the medication. So, you know, uh, a while back, um, herbal medicine became quite vogue and I, you know, I, I've got the training in that. So I'm thinking people are getting information out there just from the internet or whatever, or, you know, their, their cousin or their aunt or somebody tried something and it worked for them. But if you're on a medication, how do you know it's, it's going to blend properly? So that's a, a, another skill that I have. So in looking for people who are on that health improvement track, you know, if, if you're a high performing working executive that has a chronic illness where you're required to take medications or a stressful job or a stressful life situation. I've been there. Um, I'm, I'm actually looking to provide people with a roadmap for optimal performance. So whether it's their medications, medications and supplements, managing their stress with meditation and learning mindfulness, um, you can benefit from mindfulness without ever doing a meditation, to be honest, because, you know, we're looking at each other right now, eye to eye. Uh, I know you all are listening, but we're looking at each other and we are right here in this moment. And people really know when you're paying attention to them. Yeah. You know, you can sit there, you know, if you've the old classic, you know, the, the, the husband is reading the newspaper and just saying, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. nowhere near present or mindful. But if he's sitting across the table from the wife and she's explaining what her day was like and he's connecting with her, um, that, that's a completely different type of and much more enriching interaction. So anyway, so uh, bringing people to be more present for their work, for their life, um, and using all these other tools to get them there. Yeah, and I'm imagining it's sort of, you're facilitating a space where, where people can be really present for themselves. So it's almost like, you know, instead of it being a, a spouse that we're looking across the table to, it's, are you looking at your own reflection? Like, are you there for yourself? Are you paying attention to you and your needs and your desires? Are you in conversation with yourself? Exactly. Exactly. I think you, you've hit on it, you know, that, that you really have to um, work on yourself before it extends out to others. So, uh, yeah, so the, the seven mindful questions were designed just 
for that purpose to begin to think about what it is that you're doing so that you have that awareness you understand why you're doing it do you even care about that and then you know when you you pause and breathe that's when you have that opportunity for better ideas to come in and or you at least acknowledge like okay yeah I know what I'm doing here because so much of our behavior is conditioned as if Okay, perfect example, all right? So I'm making um, plans for dinner and I'm looking at what am I going to make with what I have on hand, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm ruling out meatloaf because my ex-husband doesn't like meatloaf. I'm like, why am I doing that? I like meatloaf, he's not here, you know, so I'm behaving as if, but that was a long, you know, it was a long marriage that ended, but you know, you, you do have these sub, it brought it to my attention that I am behaving as if, I am behaving in a subconscious manner. So no longer meatloaf is on the table more often, but you know, my point in that is that you recognize when you begin to pay attention you know, where those patterns lie. And then once you see what those patterns are, you really do, it takes several attempts, like falling down that hole or seeing the hole and still falling in before you can really make that choice to move in a different direction. Yeah. Well, and I love that line behaving as if, because that there's a lot of room there for compassion, you know, because a lot of times people will say to me, like, I don't know why I'm doing what I'm doing. I feel like I'm crazy. It's the, I really want to lose weight. I just don't want to have to lose weight. I really want to run a marriage. I want, so it's, I want to have gotten a PhD. I don't want to get a PhD. <laughs> I want to have run a marathon. I don't actually want to run the marathon. <laughs> um, and, you know, trying to figure out, well, why is it that I'm, I'm so sure I want to do this thing and at the same time, everything about my behavior suggests otherwise. And it's it, often it's like, well, what are you behaving as if is true? You know, you're behaving as if the world is falling apart and you're in survival mode. You're behaving as if you're not someone who can actually run a marathon or whatever it may happen to be. And it's, you know, that what is your as if scenario allows you to really stop and say, no, you're not crazy. Or, I mean... We are. We are all. We're all a little we're crazy. All, we are all. A little, <laughs> <laughs> we're all a little loco. It's <laughs> though. But it's um. You, you know, there's. You're not your own worst enemy. We can be sometimes, but it's you don't have to sit there and say, "Oh, I'm lazy." I'm. You know, you don't have to be whipping your own self. It's more just to think about what it is that you're behaving as if may be true. And then from that space, give yourself that some compassion and then say, okay, well, what is actually true though? And how do I move forward from that space? But you can't do that if you haven't sat for a moment and just identified where it is that you are in fact, you know, and where it is you are. Um, and so that mindfulness exactly. really is the key. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, sitting and, and thinking, you know, just allowing that pause, that space for something better to come in. Um, you know, when you're in a mindful meditation uh, and thoughts will come into the meditation, but not attaching to them, just allowing them to flow, it's practice for when something enters your mind when you're not on the cushion, when you're not meditation in meditation, um, as it enters your mind, is it worth getting upset about this? You know, is it worth, you know, reacting to it? So meditation will inform your ability to handle things that are happening in that moment by being aware of how you are feeling. So allowing those feelings to rise and acknowledge them and you can name them, you can call them, this is upset, this is upsetting, this, you know, this is anger. It, once you put a name to it, it takes the charge off of it. So um, that's another good technique. Um, you Let me think now, you, you said something interesting about um, the pause. So uh, remind me what it was that you said, because I had one more thing to say about that. 
when we pause for a moment, it gives us an opportunity to identify what actually is, as opposed to, you know, because we can't identify how we're behaving, the as if element. You know, like, what's going on here? Oh, well, I get it. I'm behaving as if the sky is falling. Okay, but it's not actually falling. <laughs> but if we don't pause for a second to even ask that question, we are just going to be knee-jerk behaving. Um, we are going to be on autopilot. So there's something about that pause that allows us to, there's a space for compassion in that pause. That's exactly where I wanted to go. So thank you for reminding me that. So um, yes, so when you pause, the, um, and you notice that you're feeling upset, Whatever it was that happened that made you upset is part of the human condition. Mm -hmm. And all of us are going to have disappointments. We're going to have betrayals. We're going to have financial losses or situations where we could have made a better choice. But that's, that's all of us. You are not alone in that. Mm -hmm. And recognizing that it's part of the human condition, that's when the, the compassion arises, is that you know, how would you treat someone else that you love that's going through the same thing? How would you talk to them if it were your grandmother or your daughter or your granddaughter? How would you speak with them? And you need to use that same kind of language with yourself, especially when you find that you have, you know, done something that you don't especially feel proud about, but it's part of the human condition. So that's where the grace enters in that um, I had a discussion with my boss not long ago where we were talking about gray areas. Mm -hmm. And I said to him, out of the gray comes grace. Mm. And that fit in a professional business situation, but it certainly fits as well when dealing with your own uh, emotions and, and things that arise. Oh, yeah, that's beautiful. I'm also thinking about how you, I, when you were talking through the process of, oh, well, what is it that I'm feeling? Oh, this is anger. I find it amusing how often people really, they're trying not to feel that thing. And so mm -hmm. what a lot of psychologists are, that I know now are trying to help so many of their clients to, to sort of ease into is that you know self-development or doing your personal work it's not about not feeling sadness or anger in favor of joy and delight and contentment all the time it's about feeling all the things in all of their you know really identify like getting clear about the texture of the emotion getting clear about the, what might be of value in that emotional experience because a lot of times people will assume, oh, well, if I'm angry, that's bad. And it's like, no, it, it, it's about whether or not it's appropriate. And it's true, I think, that mindfulness will often help de-escalate anger because once you identify it, it, as you say, it takes the charge out. But I know there are plenty of, not plenty, there, there are a handful of times in my life where I've gotten really, I've sunk into what, what is happening. And once I identify anger and play with that a little bit, I still come out on the other side of that inquiry going, no, anger is the exact correct emotion to be feeling right now. And the expression of that anger is exactly what is appropriate for this moment. Um, not in a toxic way where, you know, you're now the enemy, so bleh, I'm going to vomit all of my pain onto you. But more of a, I'm going to hold you accountable. I'm going to hold myself accountable for my own emotions. And I'm going to hold you accountable to your part in it. And if you choose not to engage, that's fine. But it's actually appropriate for me to be feeling this emotion. And so that I think too is, it, it's sort of like with Mark Brackett's work, Permission to Feel, uh, in his book there, he talks quite a bit about this, how important it is to just be able to identify an emotion and lean into it and embrace it and see its value. Um, Todd Kashtan is another one. He wrote a book called the, the Upside of Your Dark Side. And it was very similar where he's, he's trying to get people to embrace all of these emotions that so many of us spend a lot of time trying to push down or ignore and it's in the ignoring, of course, that we end up creating increasing amounts of suffering. <laughs> so, oh, totally. So, you know, and it, if you um, 
think about an unacknowledged emotion, it actually settles somewhere in your body physically. And um, it can more or less fester that, you know, if we use an analogy um, and eventually, you know, it will cry out for your attention and you will have to process it at some point. So um, I, I like your idea of, you know, really leaning into issues when they're arising because there is so much you can learn from it and really um, inform both how you behave and how you react to others. Uh, that's sort of a, a mindful speech or a mindful um, languaging on, on how you respond to others. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you on leaning into emotion when you can, when appropriate. There are times when it's better to just, you know, sit back and say, I will process this later, maybe out on paper, but, mm-hmm. you know, and not, not step forward and, and really, um, like you said, vomit your emotions all over someone. But, um, there are times when, um, you can't deny yourself either. So, um, you know, being in, in, uh, I want to say dispassionate, um, expression of something is, is probably more healthy than just a highly emotionally charged expression of maybe even a negative emotion. Yeah. Well, and, and the word that keeps coming up in my mind is this word appropriate. It's not about what is good or bad. It's what's appropriate for the moment. And what's interesting to me is that at the, you do that in your work as well. I mean, so many people I know who are in a healing process, uh, they either are, they, they fully embrace Western medicine and any kind of dabbling in the arena of something like yoga, yoga therapy, uh, mindfulness training, uh, I don't know, essential oil, any kind of what you might call alternative or traditional modalities that go, ooh, no, not into it. Or it's the inverse. There are people who are firmly camped in this arena, in the, the area of, no, 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 I only do traditional modalities. Western medicine is allopathic medicine or, you know, they don't actually care about me. There's no value in it. They're just trying to do all the things. And I mean, the reality is both of them have a, so much to offer. It's not about whether Western medicine is good or bad or whether traditional modalities are good or bad. It's about identifying what is appropriate and then integrating that in a way that looks like you. And you can't do that if you haven't paused and really gotten clear about, well, what am I feeling in my body? What is the nature of this ailment that I'm having to navigate right now? And what is the most appropriate thing to try and utilize to optimize my experience of healing? And so for you, you're standing right at the intersection of that and inviting people there and saying, I can help you. And there's a, there's a space for both of these tools. And it's really just a question of to what degree do you need each one? And what does your personal equation look like? Yes, exactly. And giving them the agency to make the choice for their own healing, rather than just saying, here, take this pill, or here, this might help you. You know, it's giving them the options to see what um, what the benefits of either side might be, and they can make the final decision. Yeah. Well, and I'm also, you know, like when, when trying to figure out what is the, you know, what is the final decision I need to be making, again, if you have, it's hard to have agency when you're hijacked. And so it really seems like the mindfulness element is what gives them the capacity for agency. Because if that's not a part of the equation, everything else kind of, as my grandmother would say, goes to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> right, right. You're, you're absolutely right. You know that, that you can begin to see what's going to work better for you if you have the ability to be dispassionate about what's happening in the moment, yes. you know? So I, I think we're saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when we're looking at both traditional versus alternatives, you know, you're right that they both have a, a, a lot to offer and you really can come up with a regimen that makes sense for someone considering everything that they're dealing with, because everyone really is an individual. And even though we we have dosage ranges in medications that are, you know, a, 
a normative range that in the initial studies, this dose worked for most people, you might not be the most people. You know, you, you might not be the same as whomever this medication was tested on. So using, uh, stepping back and really looking at what makes you who you are can help you decide where to go in your healing process. So that, that's one of the things I really like to do is to really figure out where where people are, meet them where they are, and uh, design something that might be over several months where they're initially bringing their, their uh, medications and other concerns and we're working on them sequentially because you can't get from zero to 60. You have to take interim steps. So, um, and because people are individuals, some of those steps require retrenching and figuring out, okay, that alternative wasn't really, we got some part of the way, but we really didn't get all the way. Mm -hmm. So let's think this through again. So um, yeah, that, that's how I work with people. Well, in, in terms of how you work with, so I, there's a quote that one of my favorite quotes, and I, I bring this up in a lot of uh, conversations with people. It's from Howard Thurman. And he wrote the line, you know, don't ask what the world needs, ask what makes you come alive and then go do that because the world needs more people who have come alive. <laughs> like, um, I would love for you when you think of that line, what is it that makes you come alive? You know, I think um, when, when I think about what really makes me come alive is finding the right folks who are amenable to what it is that I offer and seeing them take my suggestions on, you know, there, there are uh, folks who, who are on that health improvement track. They um, uh, follow the suggestions and come back and are way better than they initially even thought they could be. I knew that they could get to the, to that point, mm -hmm. but um they they had doubts or they had um, some concerns, but moving forward, following the plan, sticking with it, and when they really get to the point where they're you know back down on the floor playing with their grandkids or whatever it is that makes them really uh, happy, meaningful um, events in their life that they're able to participate, that they're not on the sidelines, you know that that's what really. Um, I feel such a sense of gratitude, you know, that I'm able to do that work for them. It's, it's like you get to take what you've learned for yourself and share with other people and, but allowing it to be, to look like them. So your journey was your own and you're not trying to repackage it and say, just follow my lead and everybody will be happy. But it's more of a, I think I have some tools that might be really helpful to you. I have no idea what you'll build with them, but I'm here to partner with you to figure what that you know figure that out. Exactly, exactly. Mm. It's almost like you get to rediscover. You know, it, it, maybe you experience this too. But when I'm working with someone on their healing journey, some part of my own healing journey ends up getting either touched upon or completed. Um, you know, it's almost like. I, I find I learn a lot more from the people I work with than I teach them. <laughs> well, I think you have a point there that, um, you know, when you're going through your own healing journey and then you're, you're working with others there, I always say this and, and, and there, it comes back many, many times in many different iterations, but you know, whatever I have gone through in my life and there's been a lot, um, we've only touched on one of the really, you know, horrendous things that happened. You know, I lost my home. I had to pay the IRS 35000 I went through a divorce. Anyway, long story short, I went through all of those things because I am now better equipped to help others in a way that I uh, have much more understanding of what it's like to be in those shoes. Not exactly their shoes, but similar shoes I have worn and I have walked them. So, um, yeah, so I always say that I've gone through things, not necessarily for myself, but so that I can help others improve. 
I hear that from just about any healer I've ever met. It's the, you know, I had to go through all of those things so that when it, when approached by another person, you know, obviously all of our experiences are uniquely our own, but the emotional landscape that we've treaded on is, there's a lot to, oh, I hear a pup in the background. <laughs> um, like there's the, a the pool cleaners just showed up, so uh, you might have to cut this part out. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's the being able to say something like, oh, I have felt that on my own skin. You know, yes. you might have been cut by a kitchen knife and I might have been cut by a steak knife, whatever, you know, but I know what it feels like to be cut either way. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, she's going to be out there barking for another minute or two because they're just, they just got started. Mm. I did close the door though. And that's, I mean, you know, background noise is totally fine too, so... Okay. I'm looking through all the questions that you asked. You know, I was looking as I'm scrolling too, um, the word, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. Is it Augenblick? Augenblick? Yeah. Yeah. It's either Augenblick or Augenblick. Either way, you know, it's fine. And you use it because it seems like it's, you know, when you talk about that word, um, you know, it's like there's not an English tra- equivalent. It's is it German? It is a German word. Yeah. And why was it central? Like w- when you were using that word and looking at it, what was it about it that caught your attention and that felt important? So this goes back to my first book, uh, which is Grounded in Chaos, and I. Um, started that book with a a whole section called chaos and it describes all the the crazy things that my life went through and then i went through a period of sadness and depression and i called that section triste which is the spanish word for sadness and so i thought well i need a special word for this last section where i'm showing that um if you're really paying attention to how you're feeling through your journey, you know, there will be some ups and there'll be some downs, but you'll be right there in those moments. And so um, I'm not exactly sure how I found the word Augenblick, but <laughs> it came to me. Um, and, and I called that last section of the first book Augenblick. And as I studied mindfulness and I studied more, um, let me go ahead and read the definition since um, most people probably have never heard the, the word before. Um, Augenblick is in the blink of an eye, a decisive moment in time that is fleeting yet momentarily eventful and incredibly significant. So um, think of a time where something happened and in that moment you knew the rest of your life was going to be different. Mm -hmm. So lying on a gurney in the ER with a heart rate in the 20s saying, I don't want to miss my life. That was one uh, Augenblick moment, which was, you know, when you think about it, that was more of a negative experience, but this could be a sunrise that you see that as you're looking at it, you, you think, I don't ever want to miss the sun rising ever again. This is so incredible to see it, you know, the, the colors and, and the changing uh, sky and the clouds and, and all of the things that go along with that. But it's like incredibly significant. You know, you see or and or hold your child for the first time. You see or and or hold your grandchild for the first time. You get to repeat some of that initial emotion, but it's different and it is incredibly significant. So I use the term to really kind of hone in as to this is the goal of mindfulness is to not miss your life in those moments that are incredibly significant and they happen in the blink of an eye. So um, being there for mindful, being part of your, being present, being mindful, um, using that term to really summarize what it is that that um, I'm, I'm trying to convey. It's, you know, in a lot of the research on things like resiliency, positive psychology, uh, they, they talk about awe 
you know, cultivating moments of awe. And they often are mostly in the landscape of positive moments mm -hmm. of awe. But what I love about this word, Augenblick, is that it can be a moment of awe that is extremely painful. Like, awe can mean something really positive and lovely, but Augenblick is being more inclusive and saying, no, it's just significant enough that it grabs your attention, sort of grabs you by the collar. It says, oh, you think you're not going to pay attention? <laughs> oh, sweetie, watch this. And yeah, like those moments where it doesn't feel like I've... I was the one who was driving. Something else hooked my attention. And that may be a moment where it, that elicits from me the desire to amass more of those moments and to maybe be more intentional about cultivating more of them. So it's the those pivot points in our lives where we go, oh, I remember that moment. I can even tell you what the smells were in the room. That's exactly right. Because the, it imprinted so significantly that you can recall, you know, the five senses of the, of the experience that it was more than just an average moment. It was really, um, really algonblick. Yeah. Well, and what I find in many, uh, I'll say many cases, is once that experience has had, a lot of people start chasing it. So it's like, I want, I, I want that experience all the time. And then of course, the way that that works is the more you chase a thing, the more elusive it becomes because mindfulness is about being here. It's not about doing, it's about being. <laughs> so that's uh, right. Like, so chasing, chasing something, um, is, is, uh, a grasping toward, which is, you know, a Buddhist philosophy of, of something you want to avoid is the grasping, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, chasing it, how do I want to frame this? I, I think what I want to say is that when you are um, in, particularly in a meditation, mm -hmm. and um, you come at it with an expectation. Mm -hmm. And so like, this is going, I'm going to bliss out and I'm going to be totally not stressful. And uh, that expectation will actually set you up for failure. Like what you were saying, you know, the elusiveness of the, that peak experience. Uh, if you come at it with the idea of this is going to be an experience, I am going to meditate and have a meditation experience. And whether or not it is, you know, completely busy, 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 thinking, thinking to the point where you're like, this is ridiculous. I need to just get up and, and go do something, you know, or you're really just uh, relaxed using the, the breath to trigger the parasympathetic nervous system to relax, you know, focusing on the breath, or you are um, really do have one of those peak experiences, which, you know, can be rare. And if they happen, fabulous. But if they don't, you had a meditation, you had an experience. Yes. And that's what's, you know, it, I'm also thinking about this idea of, um, you know, because you have a chapter on better. And it reminded me of this notion of sort of the 1% rule. It's not about always striving for a peak experience. At the same time, if you engage in behaviors that are more likely to get you into a state of mindfulness, it does improve your chance of having those peak experiences, you just can't control that. So it's sort of like um, uh, when Elizabeth Gilbert talks about creativity and she says, you know, creativity isn't something that you can conjure. It comes forth. And what you can do is show up, quote unquote, to work every day. Like as a writer, for example, she says, you know, I, I shower, I get dressed, I show up for creativity. And sometimes creativity blesses me. And sometimes creativity does not. But either way, I showed up. Like, I, I made it here for the appointment. And if creativity didn't make it, that's fine. I still showed up today. And that, to me, is what that sort of constant, you know, like, engaging in a practice and doing it regularly and trying for that sort of 1%. Con what, how can I improve what it is I'm doing by just one tiny little percent? It's not going to guarantee any kind of peak experience. But at least you showed up so that it could embrace you. You wouldn't have missed it. Like you're improving the chance that you won't miss it. That's exactly right. You know, that 1% improvement 
over the course of a lifetime is a huge amount of forward movement. But, you know, it starts with showing up, like you said. Yeah. Mm. Being there for that option, opportunity to happen. Yes, exactly. In every sense of the word of being there. Like, are you here right now? (laughs) Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And you'll know when you're there because you, um, things do start to fall into place, or at least you're starting to notice where um, you're off track a lot easier. Mm. Well, that seems like a great sort of just natural segue into talking about how, let's say that there's someone listening to this now and thinking, that sounds lovely. I would very much like more of that. And I have no idea how to get started. (laughs) I don't know what to do. Um, Who is this Lisa person and how do I find her? You know, what, you know, I can't, some of the services that you provide and on your website, for example, I, I know you mentioned that you've done meditations or you have meditations that are available for free for the community and then some that are part of a larger program. You know, how does someone get access to all of all of you? Great question. I uh, I have a website. My site is my name, Lisa, L-I-S-A-N-E-Z-N-E-S-K-I, Nez Nesky, N-E-Z-N-E-S-K-I.com, LisaNezNesky.com. And uh, there's a contact me page on there. I am going to offer to your listeners an exclusive free uh, series of free meditations they can try and and, uh, see if they enjoy them they're very basic mindfulness um, especially if you're interested in the stress relief portion of it you know with your first breath you can start to feel the benefit of meditation so we're I've pulled them together uh, just for the healthy sensitive team and uh, you know there'll be a link that you can use that'll be, I believe, probably in the show notes. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Uh, yes. Okay, and and the they can uh, follow that to my website to the meditations and then check out everything else that I offer there. Oh, that's marvelous! Thank you. Oh, very generous of you. And is there anything that? Um, hmm. If you were to, like, let's say that you're, I, I know it's like the elevator pitch, but, you know, if someone were to come up to you and you're, you've met at a networking event or you've met on the street or you're in an elevator or you're chatting and it's like, in a nutshell, what would you say is something like just a nugget you would want someone to walk away with after having spoken to you about your work? Like, you know, it's like, even if we only had two minutes together, what would you hope that someone walks away with uh, after an interaction with you? There's one line in in the book where I say, nothing changes until you do. So if I can be your catalyst to change and shepherd you along the way, midwife you along the way, depending on whether how (laughs) pregnant you are uh, (laughs) with ideas, um, you know, uh, that's, that's really, you know, if you are ready to change, you know that you've hit that line in the sand, like you've you've just hit the point where this current situation is untenable, and you're not sure. You you do want to make some changes, but you're not exactly sure. Um, I will look at your your situation individually, at your health, and the other five dimensions of the domain, including spirituality, and help you along the way to really heal. That is beautifully said. Thank you. So Lisa, I just want to thank you so much for your time today, for coming on the show. Um, And, you know, I'd love it if I know we've talked a little bit throughout this about, you know, a bit about some of the things you offer and some of the work you do. But um, I'd love to spend just a little bit of time fleshing out your services, where people find you um, and what kinds of things that you work with people in. 
Oh, sure. Thank you so much. This has been an amazing conversation and I've loved every single minute of it. And, you know, and before I go, I have a special bonus for just for your listeners. I have a series of free meditations that um, they can sign up for. The link will be, I I think, in the show notes. And uh, what you can do is... um, there, the meditations are designed for both beginners and even experienced meditators, and you can benefit from meditation on your very first breath. So um, I thought it would be helpful to put these together. The book is available, Seven Mindful Questions and Grounded in Chaos are both available on Amazon. Um, I'm working on a workbook for the Seven Mindful Questions, a companion volume, so you can do the Uh, exercises, the meditations, all of that, um, and really dig deep on how the seven mindful questions can help you. Uh, I'm going to do a masterclass, a free one hour masterclass on seven mindful questions and a full day workshop. So those all of this information, including my flagship service, which is the medication and uh, supplement integration process where I work with people to really uh, move the needle forward on their health in and looking at all uh, lesser invasive type services. All of that is on my website, lisaneznesky.com, www.lisa, L-I-S-A, Nezneski, N-E-Z-N-E-S-K-I.com. And Leah, thank you so much for reading my book and being such an amazing interviewer and best wishes to you in your career. Thank you so much. Oh my God. And so much ditto, all the ditto. (laughs) This was a joy. It was. 